Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of amoebic liver abscess found under the gastrointestinal section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 38-year-old man presents to the emergency room for severe upper right quadrant pain for the past week. He describes a dull 8 out of 10 pain at the right upper quadrant that is worse with breathing. He endorses fever, anorexia, and diaphoresis, but denies diarrhea, nausea or vomiting, weight loss, or chest pain. He recently returned from Mexico following a work placement five weeks ago. A physical exam demonstrates hepatomegaly and point tenderness at the right upper quadrant. Let's continue with an introduction to amoebic liver abscess. Clinically, this is defined as a type of liver abscess caused by trophozoites of the parasite into amoeba histolytica. Remember that amoebic liver abscess is the most common extraintestinal manifestation of amoebiasis. Amoebiasis describes disease caused by intamoeba histolytica and often affects the gastrointestinal system, but remember that most infections are asymptomatic. Conditions that are associated include amoebic colitis, amoeboma, pleuropulmonary infection, cardiac infection, brain abscess, and cutaneous infection. In terms of the demographics, this is more common in endemic areas which includes India, Africa, Mexico, and parts of Central and South America. In developed countries, it is often seen in migrants from and travelers to endemic areas, and it is more common among adult men. Risk factors include immunosuppression, cancer, alcoholism, malnutrition, recent travel to endemic regions, steroid use, and pregnancy. With regards to the pathogenesis, remember that humans are the principal host and reservoir for intamoeba histolytica. Transmission can occur fecal-orally, person-to-person, or sexually through oral-anal contact. It is commonly from consuming food or water that has been contaminated with feces. Cysts of the intamoeba histolytica predominate in form stools and allow for initial transmission or infection as it is resistant to gastric acid. Once transmitted, the cysts differentiate into trophozoic form, which feed on bacteria and tissue, reproduce, and colonize the lumen and mucosa of the large intestine. It can also spread via portal circulation to the liver and rarely to the lung, spleen, or brain, resulting in metastatic abscesses. Invasion of the liver most commonly involves the posterior part of the right side. The abscess results from necrotic hepatocytes, and it is often described with a quote-unquote anchovy paste consistency containing acellular proteinaceous debris. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include right upper quadrant pain, cough, sweating, malaise, weight loss, anorexia, hiccuping, and diarrhea. On exam, one may note fever, jaundice, hepatomegaly, and right upper quadrant tenderness. In terms of further imaging, ultrasonography is the best initial test. It may demonstrate a cystic intrahepatic cavity with a round, well-defined hypoechoic mass. Computed tomography is another great initial imaging test. It appears as a low-density mass with peripheral enhancing rim. Magnetic resonance imaging demonstrates low signal intensity on T1-weighted images and high signal intensity on T2-weighted images. 
in terms of further studies. Remember that the diagnostic approach is primarily based on clinical presentation and it is confirmed via serologic or antigenic testing. Specific tests may include serology and antigen testing. This confirms acute or previous infection. Negative serology excludes the disease, though it may be negative in the first seven days. An abscess aspiration under ultrasound or CT guidance may be rarely performed, but is indicated if the cyst appears to be at imminent risk of rupture, and it may help to visualize the trophozoites. Laboratory studies may also demonstrate an increased alkaline phosphatase. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about pyogenic liver abscess, with differentiating factors being that the abscess aspiration will yield bacterial organisms and polymorphonuclear cells. Also think about echinococcal disease, with differentiating factors being that this will appear different on imaging, such as having a ground class appearance, and it will be negative for entamoeba histolytica serology. And also think about malignancy. Differentiating factors include that this rarely presents with right upper quadrant pain and fever, and it can be differentiated via imaging and tissue biopsy. With regards to treatment, remember that therapy can be initiated empirically based on clinical suspicion pending further diagnostic evaluation. First-line therapy includes concurrent use of a tissue and luminal agent for 7 to 10 days. Tissue agents include metronidazole, tinidazole, and nidazoxanide. These have a cure rate of greater than 90%, and remember that metronidazole is recommended in pregnant patients. Luminal agents include paramomycin, diiodohydroxyquine, or diloxanide. Remember that elimination of intraluminal cysts is necessary even if stool microscopy is negative. Second-line therapy is indicated in patients with relapse following therapy or if they have a slow response to initial therapy. This may include therapeutic aspiration, percutaneous catheter drainage, or a prolonged course of metronidazole. And lastly, complications related to amoebic liver abscess may include abscess rupture, peritonitis, and hepatic vein or inferior vena cava thrombosis. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to amoebic liver abscess, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 44-year-old man presents to the emergency department with abdominal pain and a fever. He states that it started earlier this week and that it has been gradually worsening. The patient states that he recently returned from a trip to Mexico and had diarrhea which resolved on its own. The patient is generally healthy and only has an elevated fasting blood glucose. His temperature is 102 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.9 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 129 over 89. Pulse is 108 beats per minute. Respirations are 17 breaths per minute and oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam is notable for right upper quadrant abdominal tenderness. Laboratory values are ordered, which demonstrate an alkaline phosphatase of 298, an AST of 225, and an ALT of 290. A CT scan is performed, which demonstrates a solitary mass. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment for this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1, metronidazole and paramomycin. Choice 2, no intervention at this time with follow-up imaging in 3 months. Choice 3, 
percutaneous drainage. Choice 4. Serum alpha-fetoprotein level and surgical resection. Or choice 5. Vancomycin and piperacillin tazobactam. The best answer to this question is choice 1. Metronidazole and paramomycin. This patient is presenting with travel to an endemic area such as Mexico, previous diarrhea, abdominal pain, a fever, an elevated alkaline phosphatase and AST and ALT, and a CT scan demonstrating a solitary mass, which is concerning for a diagnosis of intamoeba histolytica. This is treated with metronidazole and paramomycin. Intamoeba histolytica typically occurs from fecal oral ingestion and can present without any symptoms, with diarrhea, or with extraintestinal manifestations, including a hepatic abscess. Intestinal symptoms typically include several weeks of abdominal pain and watery or bloody diarrhea. This can be followed by extraintestinal manifestations, including a liver abscess, which may present with the fever, right upper quadrant pain that is referred to the shoulder, and possibly nausea and vomiting. Patients will typically demonstrate right upper quadrant tenderness. The diagnosis can be supported with an ultrasound or CT scan demonstrating a solitary mass. Stool or abscess microscopy or indirect hemagglutination can further confirm the diagnosis, and the treatment typically involves both metronidazole for the active infection and paramomycin for intestinal colonization. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. No intervention at this time with follow-up imaging in three months would be appropriate management of a benign cyst discovered incidentally. This patient's fever, pain, and recent travel and diarrhea make a benign cyst highly unlikely. Choice 3. Percutaneous drainage is not typically indicated in the management of an amoebic abscess unless there is a particular concern that it is about to rupture. Otherwise, medical treatment is the best initial treatment. Choice 4. Serum alpha-fetoprotein level and surgical resection could be appropriate management and workup for hepatocellular carcinoma, which typically occurs secondary to chronic liver injury, such as in alcoholics or patients with hepatitis B or hepatitis C. It would not be associated with systemic symptoms and a preceding diarrheal illness. Choice 5. Vancomycin and piperacillin-tazobactam are broad-spectrum antibiotics that could be indicated in a patient in septic shock secondary to an abscess, though drainage would still be needed for a bacterial abscess. It would not be the best management of an intamoeba histolytica infection. Finally, a bullet summary. The treatment of intamoeba histolytica is metronidazole and paramomycin. That's all for this review about amoebic liver abscess. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here 
on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.